been lounging, lounging with Skipper. <laughs> You've been lounging, lounging with Skipper. What's going on, everybody? I want to welcome you all to another episode of Lounging with Skip. This right here is episode 41. Um, been going at this now for quite some time. Um, took some time off, but I'm back at it. You know what I'm saying? Um, this man right here, I wanted to reach out to him to uh, get him on the, the podcast for quite some time, and we were officially able to you know, make it happen. Um, right. Man, we go back 1992. Um, one, really. One, like, really. <laughs> 91, 92, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about back in the days when, you know, it's always interesting when you run into someone that, you know, you feel like, you know what I'm saying, like, it, like, like, I guess in a way, kindred spirits as far as um, I'm just thinking you know, as far as being creative and, and, and being around a creative spirit. And at an early age, I'm pretty sure we both, you know what I'm saying, recognize that within one another. Yeah. It's just uh, dope. It's inspiration. It's just, it's, it's dope how, um, you know, 28, well, no, what, is it 30 years later, you know. Well, 30, bro, I didn't to say two years out. <laughs> still being creative in a creative space. So that lets me know and confirms that Respect. what I felt that it, it was always there. Um, I want to welcome, you know, uh, entrepreneur, uh, actor, well not actor, but uh, uh, well, you know what I'm saying? Actor. I can do that too, don't, don't, don't get you know it twisted, saying? I can do that too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, artist, recording artist. Um, uh, 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 I know when you with the kids and doing that, what's what, what would that be considered in, in a way? I'm an activist. I'm an advocate. Yeah. I'm an actor. I'm I'm all the A words. I'm an artist. Yeah, you know, yeah. All, all the A and words. And I'm an ally to you. All the A words. I want to I want to welcome KP to the podcast, man. What's happening, man? Thank you, thank you, brother Skip, man. It's been a long time coming. Yes, like sir. you said, man. It's been three decades, man. We I'm glad we don't look like our struggle. You and I both, man. We just aging gracefully, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's been a long time and you know, I'm just glad to be on the show and be able to share whatever I can share with your viewers, you know, all over the world and from the west to the Midwest, man. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Now let let's take it back to the beginning. Where where were you born and raised and a little background where you was born and raised? Man, I was born in uh, an army base called Fort Knox, man, in Kentucky. You know, I was born in uh, the uh, the Ireland Army Hospital, man. You know what I'm saying? Back in the 70s, you know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna give up my straight age, but you know, I was born back in the days where, you know, it was a private thing to have kids. And, you know, my dad was a military man, so I was an army brat. You know, my mother was, a gospel singer in her past life, you know, in the early days. And, you know, I was just born to two beautiful people that, you know, had ambitions. And so the first four years of my life was spent in Germany, mm. you know, due to my dad still being a, you know, Vietnam vet. Okay. Much salute to him. And, you know what I'm saying? Just giving us that different experience of being in Europe for the first four years and then being able to come to St. Louis under the request of my auntie you know what I'm saying, who was already living in St. Louis because my folks originate from down south, from Mississippi and Leland and Bourbon. 
Now, now, do you remember anything from the first four years being overseas? Man, contrary to popular belief, I do, man. You know, I got a real vivid memory, man. It's like my, my memory is like a photograph. I remember the housing structures. I remember the, the lake that we had. It was like, a, I don't know if it was a man-made lake or whatever. We had that type of situation in front of the apartment complex that we lived at. Uh, I remember uh, interacting with white blonde women that were like really nice to me when I was a little baby. So, you know, it was real dynamic for me growing up in Europe, them formative years as a little baby, and then getting smack dab in the middle where we stayed in the North Market in Sarah, you know, back in the early 80s. You know what I'm saying? So it was night and day, man. You know what I'm saying? Seeing, seeing that type of distinct difference. So how was it for you coming to St. Louis, um, you know, in, the, in those early years, the transition of where it went from, you know, you being over in Europe to now being in St. Louis, and you were in the north side, correct? Yeah, <laughs> in the heart of that mug, man, I was in the Ville. You know what I'm saying? I was in North North Market and Sarah, you know what I'm saying, the 4200 block. And, you know, growing up, I didn't realize we were poor. You know, I didn't get socialized like I guess the average African-American, quote unquote, individual would to know your social class as a black, you know, because I always felt like, you know, I was just a, a human being. I never really captured the identity early on until I was, you know, put out in the school in the DSEG program. And, you know, and and actually a little earlier than that from dealing with your own peers when you're in the city schools and they tease you about being dark skinned and, and, you know, say little African booty scratcher jokes. You know how it go, man. You know, and, and that give you a perspective. So, you know, that always intrigued me just early on, man, is to find an escapism from you know, the stress of how the world is by drawing and, you know, singing and, and song and dance always attracted me, man, I, when I was I, little. So that kept me, you know, hey, hey, kept me busy, so, man. So, so for everyone, I want everyone to know. Also, in 91, I'm just, I'm glad that he brought this back up. In 91, 92, this man was mm -hmm. the first, like, so back then I dropped like my first solo cassette, you know what I'm saying, around school. Mr. Skip, baby. Yeah. And this man drew the artwork. And I remember, because we had a class together and a science class, as a matter of fact, and I remember he drew um, the artwork for my front cover. I mean, I'm talking about like down to the, to, to, to the, to the, you know, the, the, the members the, of the group. The, we had everything. The shirt, the backpack, the hat. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was like, man, this cat <laughs> right here skill. is talented. You know what I'm saying? This cat right here. <laughs> right on, man. So you got me, man, you got me man, smiling and blushing, man. That was hey, the man, days, you know good. Hey, you know what I'm saying? It's all it's all about it's all about giving giving the flowers to those, man, who basically when we think in hindsight of where we are today, we have to Appreciate remember those you. that were in place. Uh, uh, to basically spark the momentum and what actually were the ones, man. part of the ones who pushed us to becoming who we are today, man. So you definitely are man. a memory in my mind that has stuck throughout all these years of these different, you know what I'm saying, facets of my life. So I salute you. Yes, sir. Um, so Man, thank you, brother. All good, all good. Because I feel like, man, it's just like all my friends growing up, man, 
early on, even like as early as third grade, I made all my friends through talent. It was never on nothing worldly, you know what I'm saying? I was mischievous in my own way. I wasn't a good or a bad kid. But one thing for certain, I was a creative kid. So I was always building and I was always doing something that would set me apart. And that would create my circle. My social circle was created through like-mindedness. You know what I'm saying? And, and you was one of them brothers as, you know, later on when we was like young, 15, 16 years old, coming to age, you know, in high school and trying to figure it out. We all had our little identities and, and it inspired me, Skip, so, so tough and, and, that, you know, you yeah. gave me a dynamic to, you know, base myself off of, you know what I'm saying? And it only refined each other because iron sharp as iron. And you know, and the thing about it is, so I want everyone else to know too, this is all part of the, the introduction uh, still about this man is, you know, he was new to the school. This was like, I think my sophomore year. Yeah, suck. And he was new to the school and, and I was new to the school too. Yes, sir. But, 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 but he made himself very, uh, uh, noticeable that he was new and walking around the school wearing the Lafayette starter jacket um, hot and, and spit and rapping loud in the hallways. Yeah, there I wasn't would. too many people walking around the hallways rapping loud. You know what I mean? Like, who is this cat? You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I want to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I was tripping. Yeah, but I mean, but that's, but it's little things like that. That, that was like, that made me look like, damn, he has no, no, uh, you know, sometimes even as kids, we have certain limits to what we feel we want to do in thinking of what others may think about us. And when I saw that in you, it made me be like, man, he don't give, he does not give no fucks. You know what I'm saying? As far no as fucks what any, what anybody's right. anybody saying. And so that stuck with me as well, because it let me know like, damn, it's just right. It's other kids my age that basically have more more balls in a sense of just doing what it is that's pleasing to them. You know what I mean? So no, nah, that, that's absolutely real, Skip. Yeah. It, but it was it was easy for me to transition because of what my experience was at my age. You know what I'm saying? Because although I had the baby face, I was always a man child and was exposed early on to grown activity. I had a daughter. You know what I'm saying? I, I really had a life that was causing me to have to be creative and have to, you know, have a driving energy about myself to where somebody tripping on me, not liking my shoes or not liking the way I was dressing or colors I had on, I ain't have no time for it. So I just tuned them out with the hip hop, man. And you know what I'm saying? I think that was that spirit that, that was kindred for us. You know what I'm so, saying? So you had a back daughter then. back then? Yeah, bro. Shit, my daughter 30 years old. Wow. <laughs> right. Sheesh. Okay, so, so as the world turns. Let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. So what was your um first experiences into music? Like as far as what are like what was like one of the very first songs you remembered in your life in your childhood? Whether it's R and B, rock, hip hop, something that it gravitated to you musically. Well, well, my mom's, you know what I'm saying? She used to sing a, a hell of a lot of songs, man. And and those divas from the past, sure. Um, uh, what's her head? Barbara Streisand, you know what I'm saying? Some of them classic singers, man, them balladeers. Uh, she used to sing in, um, uh, what's that song? Can It Be? It was also simple. Uh, the Way We Were, 
you know what I'm saying? Uh, my mama like country, western. I mean, you know, she like from Minnie Ripperton to, to Patty Klein, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it was so diverse, Dolly Parton even. So mama always kind of gave me uh, a diverse, you know, palette of music to listen to, but principally her main music was gospel. So, you know what I'm saying? Early in my life, I had a lot of gospel, a lot of spiritual stuff, you know, old gospel, man, the soul stirrers, the mighty clouds of joy, you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Pastor Cleveland, you know, Mahalia Jackson, you know, those type of singers. And that's kind of like the spirit that I kind of keep with me. You know, when, when I think about making music, it's like, those are our ancestors. So that's why I got endless wordplay. And, and I don't have any fear when it comes to, you know, speaking the truth because, you know, that's what gives me power every day. If I share the gift, then the gift keeps on giving. So what's the so what's the first hip hop record that you heard in your life that you can remember where you was like, yo, what is this? Man, it's funny that you say that, but it was uh 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 Beethoven's fifth. Uh, Fat Boys, man. Rest in peace, Marky D, man. It's, it's so funny you say that. But, man, when I heard that da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and, you know, I was already feeling the, the Curtis Blow movement and everything, but when I heard Buffy beatboxing and all this stuff, man, that kind of just solidified it for me. You know what I'm saying? Wanted to just be a rapper. It was fun for me. And then, of course, later on, the wordsmiths of the day, like, you know, Karis Warren, Rock Kim, you know what I'm saying, Big Daddy Kane, you know, a special ed. Oh, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, man. So I was you, just a fan of the game, man. Around that time, was that when you started mm -hmm. writing? Yeah, I, I started writing when I was like nine or 10. So yeah, man, if you do the math, man, I was, yeah, I was about 10, 11 years old, man, 10 years old, writing rhymes, man. And so that was around the time when crack was hitting the hood. Mm. Dope Man was coming out, mm. you know what I'm saying? So those songs were very impressionable on, you know, the way I was delivering a lot of my rhymes in the mid to late 80s. Cause before then, you know, we was, uh, uh, I'm on the microphone and old school, what a day, you know, old school type of cadence. But of course, when, when the flow was discovered, when Rakim started teaching cats how to rap, it's like nobody after Rakim, if you ask me in hip hop, could afford to not have some kind of flow, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, the rest is history though. But I, I was a wordsmith, a wordsmith since I was like 10. And I used to uh, rap with cats that was 16, 17, 18 years old. And you know, I was they, I was like the human radio back in the days, man. If they wanted to hear the top 10 rap selection, they'd ask me, man, for ride bass to to BDP, the, the leaders of the new school. It didn't matter. I, I could, I will rap those songs, you know what I'm saying? And their voices, because that's how I kind of hone my gift. You wow. know, my cousin is Willie D from the Ghetto Boys. And I didn't find that out until later, of course, in life. Really? But I used to always, yeah, man, big shout out uh, to the H-Town players. Um, I, I used to rap like him when I was little, like just flexing with my voice and people used to always get a kick out of it. But as I got older and started, you know, honing my craft, I realized that me sounding like Ice Cube when I rap or Scarface when I rap or not so much Tupac because I feel like I was kind of already kind of vibing like Tupac, 
when he came out. The same as Outkast when they came out. I feel like it's the same wavelength type shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, these cats doing the type of shit I like to do. Cause you know, back in the day, me and Sham used to be, you know, flowing. Hey, we hey, like hey, to flow. You know, you know what's funny, man? I mean, you mentioned about Willie D being your uh, your cousin. You know, I, I could I, I could have sworn back then you were, I remember there's a line that Willie D was like when he was like, I give you some of this and some of that. And <laughs> some of that. <laughs> And I think back then, I think you may have been like, I think you may have like rapped that line or something, man. Like now that I'm kind of- That's special effects, you can bet. <laughs> yeah, man, now that I'm getting, yeah, man. Back then, you know what I'm saying? Ghetto Boys was really like, like nowadays, these kids now is no limit to, you know, how, how, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, any barriers on what it is they're doing. I mean, the songs now are so graphic. <laughs> yeah. But back right, then, right. be, you know, 13 years old, that she can suck my dick and lick my scrotum. It's like, what? Man. <laughs> hey, he's like, like oh, Kathy. Like, that whole really? The first piece of pussy that I ever got. Crazy. <laughs> she yeah. fucked me till I was coming. Right. Like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, we had some shit, man. You know what I'm saying? But the flip side to it, that, that was the underground shit. You know what I'm saying? Even though the kids had it, it was because of parents having to work all the damn time in most people's homes. So no matter what was going on, who had time to monitor their kids? And you gotta blame the capitalistic society that we living in, because they found ways. You know, we didn't have the Sam goodies in the record stores in North St. Louis and Baton where I grew up at, but we sure did have the bootleg guy that had every copy of every tape that you could ever think that came out back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it was it was marketed to us in a way that you know they sold street fashions to us. We had Gus back in the days, man. When when the '90s hit and, and Cass was gang banging and shit, that was like the depot, you know, that and the Dicky Warehouse and Grandpa Pigeons. You know what I'm saying? It was like the depots when finding some street apparel that you can you know you know be in and, and fit in and you know be safe, so to speak. Whereas now it's more of a commercialism uh, 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 effect that is being put on onto the kids nowadays. To where now you oh uh, yeah, it's goofball rocking that that type of gear. Um, yeah, I, man, I, I it, it's straight goofball. Yeah, I want to lead into. So, when did you get into recording songs and things like that? Well, that was around early, like late '80s, early '90s, because. I used to be uh, in the studio with Oliver Sane, and I met him through my manager, D.O. Doty. Big shout out to him, the Bakery Productions. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a long story with us, you know what I'm saying? But I want to stay focused. I used to uh, be able to sit in on some of them sessions that he was doing mixing and, and tracking out music. And, you know, that was my first time like being kind of exposed to it from the raw end of learning how to, you know, cut music and record. And back in them days, man, they didn't have uh, as much access to the drum machines because those was actually a luxury item in the studio. People understand, man, back in the days, if you know, like me, been recording since the 80s and 90s, them studios used to sometimes just be studios with a mic in it. Mm. And be like, okay, you got the mixing console, where's your equipment, where's, you know? And we like, hold on, we ain't got no beats. 
So, you know, we learned the ropes the hard way of, you know, booking studio time. And then they had a studio hand that was playing country music, but we, we found a way to make a dope beat, you know, do what we had to do. And, and Oliver Sane was like this dude that used to let out of order. Well, now it's out of order, but we was Northside Coalition. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we was doing records and we would record five and six hour sessions. And he'd be like, uh, okay, it's time to pay, fellas. And then we're like, oh, brother, same. We sorry, we sorry. We gotta uh, get it from our manager, you know, whoop de whoop game. And then she's like, yeah, whatever, next time, come with some bread. But he always was kind of, you know, lenient with us, man. You know, back in them days. So from like, I say from the 90s through like 95, around the time when he had got sick, and you know what I'm saying? We wasn't dealing with him. We started going to uh, the studio on the South Side called Music Masters. Well, well before And that, they had well, drunk. Well, 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 before, let, let, let's go to sophomore, you know, around that time when we met in C Natural. Around. Man, I'm, I'm skipping around. Yeah. Exactly. That's, what, that's why I was telling my folks, let me digress. As I digress, I'm glad I'm talking to you, Skip, because when I do this, this out of order documentary movie or whatever it's going to be, you know, I need you to be on my team so you could be able to tell me, you know, the parts I'm missing. I still remember, I still remember, uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, all that. Exactly, exactly. But now I remember it too. I didn't forget it. I just compartmentalized it. Yeah. It was kind of talking about my actual studio, you know, experiences. I didn't get to the home studio situations yet. But, you know, cause I was like doing home I, studios for, back for in the me, day. For me, for me in doing in doing the podcast and doing the episodes, I like to form that, mm -hmm. that timeline. So that way the listeners yes, are taken into that timeline too, as far as it being like, oh, yes, okay, then that had, oh, and then that's what led yeah. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah. So, so that, that was like 91, you know what I'm saying? 91, we uh, meet C Natural, you know what I'm saying? Big shout out to the brother. My prayers are with the brother, you know, holding on, staying strong. He exposed us to a man having a setup, a home setup that was just like having a studio. Yeah. So it was like a big experience, bro. He walked us through the, through the whole design of building beats, tracking beats through the Insonic, through all the samplers, man. Dude was just like, he was a, a, a genius and he was a, a gem in the hood, man, for real. Cause over that way, man, it was no way we was gonna have access to the type of equipment my mans was having the time he was allotting us for that cheap prices yeah. that he man do was really like selling dope with that music and, and, straight and, up. And you, know, and, and you know what's crazy, and just just for those for people that's listening. So at that time, you know what I'm saying. I had me a crew, you know what I'm saying, and we all the vigilantes. We all went by the vigilantes, and yeah, during, during this period, I think it was around this time, like we kind of fell out, and I was like, man. And I remember I was telling my boys, I was like, man, let's do a song dissing them, dissing them niggas. I remember, I remember, I remember. And, and hey, I think, hey, we and, and we did a song, and I think, uh, I think Trace said something like, no, I think I said something like, don't pick up a tape with three niggas named the NSCs. And see, I remember <laughs> that shit, nigga. I called hey, you. Hey, I remember that Courtney shit, nigga. We <laughs> was like, ah, kill it, kill it. <laughs> hey, look, I, hey, look. I, 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 I called you and I was like, yeah, man. I called you and I was like, yeah, man. We uh did this song and shit. I meant I, I like mentioned you let me know, and you was like, for it was real? Real. It was "Let real. me hear, <laughs> let me hear." And I played over the phone, and you know what I'm saying? He's like, "All right," but look, what's so crazy about that is that here we are dissing each other with the same producer making the beats. 
<laughs> T-Natural was making the It beat. was like N.W.A. It was like N.W.A., dog. It, you know, people don't know that was the same click. Beefing hard as a motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was some, some corny shit. Cause we, we was trying to make it and we seen our predecessors dissing. So we thought that was some real hip hop shit, yeah. but it was good though. To yeah. me, it was good because like I said, back as I digress, it, it inspired me to do better music. That's what it did for me, man. It's like, man, just sitting around you. How we used to listen to uh fucking Grand, Grand Poobah when he dropped solo that real to real shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We listen to that. We listen to brand Nubian shit. We listen to uh, uh the Souls of Mischief. Yeah, yeah, we listen yeah. to a lot of great hip hop back in them days, dog. Dale the Funky Homo Sapiens album. Yeah. Come on, bro. We we was like the weirdos when it came to the hip hop. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? That was like to me, it wasn't even a diss to me. It was sport. It was fun and sport. I never took that shit serious. We yeah. used to talk about vigilantes in my neighborhood. They all get shot down trying to be a freedom fighter. Now the pussy got clout. <laughs> you know that shit? <laughs> but what's so crazy is right after that, after that occurred, because that was like on the, the vigilantes EP that we did. And then I started doing like solo I songs. I remember. And I was taking certain right. things that you were saying as far as like, like I was saying, like calling calling the pistol a shorty. You got a song called Buckham Shorty. Yeah. And I remember I was like, and one, yeah. one of my rhymes, I was like, put the shorty out the window. Now she his, now he's his though, or something I said, you know what I mean? So taking it his was like yeah. off of each other, you know what I'm saying? And, and exactly. continuously still, you know what I mean? Yes, sir. Right, and and, and even to this day, because hey, you inspire. No, I was gonna say, I was saying, I also remember it was there was a song that I did, and I remember I sampled you when you said I got 38 ways for the shorties to fly. I remember that. I remember that, brother. I remember that. Cause I was just like, dog skip. Anytime I heard some hip hop where cats is dissecting, cutting up beats, like you know, we grew up on that type of hip hop, man. I fall in. I fall in. I don't care if it's 2026, y'all. I fall into the boom bap, man. And I think we were actually building pyramids back in them days, man. We was doing some things that was high science. And had we been in a greater market or a place that showed more love and had cohesion, I think we would have had a little industry cracking in the Midwest back then. Because we provided the industry dynamic, my dude. You know what I'm saying? We had the hardcore, we had the boom bap, we had sophisticated, socially conscious, all that shit. You was going All solo, I was going solo. I went, I, I had a group, you had a group, you know what I mean? You and you and Shane. Everybody. Now, kind of going into, so after you worked with CNAT on that EP, and I remember like it was, you know, I think I did my solo project and you all was hearing my songs that my, to my destiny, no, it was a, yeah, to my destination album. To my destination. I loved it. I remember to this. Very I used to go to sleep to that shit, cause I, I I be listening to it in my headphones, but listen to your shit. That's what's up. Yeah, um, straight up. After that occurred, we're looking at now. This is like 93, 94. You wasn't really working with CNAT anymore. What did the group nope. do from this point? Yeah. Well, from that point, man, we had kind of did a lot of networking. You know what I'm saying? As a group, cause by then we had our fourth member. You know what I'm saying? Who was uh, Jay Damage? You know, people want to call me while I'm trying to do my interview. Yeah. Um, it was Jay Damage. He came into the group. So we were uh, networking with different cats with studios. 
you know what I'm saying, and just finding our way as far as having access. But then we got signed, I speed up to 96. Me, Sham, Nono, and JMCD got signed to FMC. And that was a record label that uh, we was with our manager, Doty. you know what I'm saying, uh, after rocking with my man, Mark Willer, big shout out to our first manager, Mark. But uh, Doty had ended up meeting Teddy Mahone, well, and on. Teddy introduced hold us on. to- Casey, hold on one second. So, you all at, at first were called NSC. Yeah. Those that don't know, what does NSC mean? Northside Coalition. So what led to Northside Coalition, and who was in the group NSC before it became what it did? Well, well Northside Coalition originally was me and No-No. And then I put Sham into the group. So it's like, my whole journey started as KPS, Killer Poets Society, right, if you Killer remember. Society. Yeah. That was the foundation block you know, to everything. Who was in that group? Yeah. That that was me. That was me, my big cousin, Eric, who is a lot now back in the day, CP, aka Cradell, and the golden child. And my big brother was, but you know what I'm saying? He ain't never get around when we was actually so, doing it in the studio. So but the main three was me, Cradell, and Eric. So before we move forward in that, I want yep. everybody No, 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 was in the service at this time. So I want everybody mm -hmm. to know before that, when they were uh, KPS, Killer Poet Society, they started recording with CNAT. This is before CNAT started having, using the EPS to be able to sample. So a lot of the tracks were played. And I remember there was one track I heard. It was dun, 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 dun. And I remember, and I remember, and I remember one of the famous lines, one of the famous lines in that song was like, some, some, some. He said, he said, some, I kill, I kill your sister, your mother, and your faggot ass brother. <laughs> Oh, classic, <laughs> man. Hey, that type of shit we'll be sensing today. Class, that, that, <laughs> hey, hey, that, hey, that line, that was classic, man. That was unbridled gangster rap. That was uh, a CP. Big shout out to my little bro, mm. CP. That was Cradell. He did that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But the most memorable line that I got from them days, dog, was Menace in Society. Because I, when I started off, I'm like, skin is the way that I'm living is unexcusable. I'm making an offer that you can't refuse, ho. You remember that shit, cuz? Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that yeah. shit was hard, and, man. And, 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 about it. Hooks, 90, 91. and one of the hooks was Lou Towns in the house. Lou Town. Lou Town. Lou Town. in the house. And you know what? I still have, I still have those cassettes. I still have those cassettes at my mom's house. It's at my mom's house back in St. Louis. Oh, I need access, bro. You don't have them? You need to come on home. Oh, for no. real? You don't have them? <laughs> don't have them. Oh, I would love and cherish to have those. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. Still got them. I still got them. That'll help me with the movie. Mm, I got them. Yeah. Do you still got the, uh, we got the D-I-C-K. And it will be yours by the end of the day. Stick it you. to that ass, don't you? Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we captured that uh, Topper with the Power. Remember YZ came out, mm. and we kind of had that kind of groove to it with that doom. I got all, listen, I got all that stuff on cassette back in my mom's house now. 
So yeah, I'm going to look, look that stuff up. Um, So fast Bless forward, you. what made you all change the name from NSC to Out of Order? Well, so out, out of all that stuff we went through with the uh, NSC thing, it was like, for one, everybody wasn't from the North side. You know what I'm saying? With my brother Jay was from the West side. So it really didn't no longer fit. You know what I'm saying? As far as calling the whole group NSC. And we were thinking like to be more marketable. You know, we was always thinking in the back of our head, maybe it's cause we had this local name that it was holding us back. So we went through names like out of line, out of control, out of sync, out of order. And how I got out of order is funny, man, because I went to this one gas station, we was on tour and um, Everybody was like on the road, like, no, I gotta blow it up, bro. I'm sorry, my something fucked up. I ain't, I ain't even finna do this on this bus. I'm finna, you know how I go on the road, dog. We go to this bathroom, right? They don't say anything about it not working. But when I run in there, it's a fucking, like, look like somebody's ass exploded on the toilet, man. And it had this, this sign on it that said, out of order. And Word life, that, that's really the image that, that I got when I thought of the group, you know what I'm saying, name. I ain't never think about the fact that it was three O's or anything, it just came out so natural. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Then later we developed triplosis, triplosis. Mm. That was like that vibe that where if you come, it's just like me and you, we got triplosis. We was on the same vibe. Mm. You making an album, hmm, I'm making an album at the same damn time. How's that? You know what I'm saying? And so it's an unwritten thing that brothers have when they're like-minded. So all my life, like I said, you know, coming to full circle, I always look for brothers that's like-minded. So pretty much, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of a, uh, and it's kind of the early birth of, you know, so to speak, of what Sham is on now in his life. It's it's all been yeah, absolutely a, a, a spiritual type of thing even from the beginning. Absolutely. Got you. Yeah, got absolutely, you. bro. Got you. So Triple yeah, O's, you, you know, because back the, in the uh, day, you know. The, the, the zeros in the words. The O's in the words. Infinity. Interesting. It was a I, new I era. Knew, I never knew that. The new era was 2000 AD. And they used to talk about the Y2K. Now you got to understand uh, Shamar's father, rest in peace, Robert Doherty, my uncle, used to put us up on a lot of trilateral organization, Illuminati, space technology, Area 51 type shit. And that's what we used to do for fun. You know, like like the Wu-Tang used to watch karate flicks. We used to sit up there and watch them conspiracy flicks. You know what I'm saying? Looking at rapture films, talking about end times. So apocalyptic things always was like our go-to, mm. you know, when we really became out of order. Mm. And that became like the topics of a lot of our stuff. We had the song called Revelations. I still got this though, the stuff we did in um, 96 to like um, 2000, you know what I'm saying? Before we really had everything cracking, you know, but those are the most meaningful records that we did because we were together. You know, and nobody had no record deal. It was all about love for the family and the out of order movement. You know, me, no, no, you know, being brothers that come through the struggle together, 
it was just like a, a click of our friends. Everybody met me through, everybody met each other through me. Mm -hmm. So I keep going back to the Wu-Tang because that's the closest thing I could kind of describe us like. I'm RZA and everybody know them, you know, through me. Yeah. Now, now fast forwarding yeah. to about 98, during this period in time, mm -hmm. the Lunatics started kind of popping off with their song that they had going yeah. to St. Louis. Now, around yeah. what time was it when you all had got the song with Twisted? And how did that Well, we, we recorded that song back in like, i say about late 97. It was winter time of 97. Mm. And then 98 came, we went down to uh, Atlanta for the Freak Nick. And that's when we was really getting our, you know, exposure on, you know what I'm saying? Cause we was performing in front of some major folks and some industry executives. This guy named Celine Boaz from uh, Atlantic Records. Uh, he And uh, also he worked personally under Leo Cohen, you know what I'm saying? So it was a bunch of high ups that was following us once we signed with PD Wax Records. Cause rest in peace, Prim Rogers, man. Brother, he put us on, man. You know what I'm saying? He uh, sent us on our first out-of-town show. We opened up for Luke, you know, in Detroit. And, you know, from there, it was just like, we just kept on doing a whole bunch of, like, four-hour shows that brothers from the North Side ain't never even, you know, imagined that we would do. You know what I'm saying? But I ain't gonna lie, I kind of always saw us making it. It just didn't turn out the way I thought it was gonna turn out. Now. What, how, how did it go about to where you all was even brought in front of PD Wax to end up getting signed with them? Well, me and Sham, man, you know what I'm saying? Me and Nono is like, I would say we are the heart, but me and Sham is like the creative soul of our all. You know what I'm saying? Because me and him had the dream, we had the vision to be like, no, nah, we gonna make it. We we finna get on. So like I was doing for your project, I was drawing on our envelopes, bro. We used to draw, our, I used to do portfolios of artwork, right? And put mailing addresses of each record label exec on there to the A&R departments. So they said that if you make a fancy envelope, maybe it'll get some attention. We did everything, you know, like together. We would go to the record stores when they had a uh, street side, you know, uh, what's that little store we used to hit all the time? Uh, uh, Best Buy. You know what I'm saying? When Best Buy came to the Village Clock Tower over there on, you know, where Dilbert used to be at back in the day. Man, we probably put them out of business, man. We we the reason they put those white little boards on the CDs, because me and Sham used to be yanking CDs, cuz and Big Worm, rest in peace. You know what I'm saying? Not snitching or nothing, but this way back, we was kids, man. You know, we used to take them CDs and basically read the back of the CDs to find out where the management was, who you call for booking, who you send your demos to. So me and Shan was always the demo pirates, if you will. <laughs> always got a demo, dog. We we front confronted Eric Sermon and Freaknik that 98. Like, yo, man, we hard. We ain't had no demo, though. I wanted to bust like I do. No, you could be fucking dope, but give me a fucking demo. That was the exact word. I'm like, fuck. And it, and it let us know how important back then a damn demo was. So that's why we just went ham when we came back to St. Louis. Yeah, so going, so what mm. made PD Wax, like, you know, what made him, you know, sign you guys? 
we saw like I, I, I I'm sorry, man, because I'm I'm like a speaker, so I always talk, give you the well, long answer. I'm gonna try to that's condense. Why, that's why I'm staring yeah. at it. <laughs> I'm staring. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I like that. I like that. You're right. I need that. So so PD Wax was another one of those artists because back in the day, big shout out to Alfie, AK, and Jay Cliff for Mind Over Body, another St. Louis act that gets no love or respect when you talk about hometown greats. They had an album out, uh, uh, Mind Over Body, MOB, and we saw that the album uh, was made in St. Louis and we saw the number belong to somebody with a 314. So me and Sham being the demo pirates that we were of the day, we had a demo package. Man, we sent it out. And this happened to be a, a album, a professional album that we had cut with FMC, you know, right before we got signed to PD Wax. But we never did keep the masters and we never made money. But the only thing we had was a dope ass album on a CD that we were able to use as a demo. And he just saw so much potential, man. Dude called us up to the Applebee's on uh, New Hall's Ferry. And, you know, we, we talked or whatever. And he was like, it was just me and Sham at this point. And he was like, hey, I want to uh, sign y'all. Whoop de whoop. And we like happy as hell. So instantly, man, uh, PD started putting in work for our career. He started putting us in the studio. He started putting us around people. DJ Kool-Aid, uh, Big Biscuit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 a lot of different people, man. Some people from, you know, I ain't even want to talk too much. But it was a lot of underworld people involved. Yeah. you know with what was going on so us being street oriented we understood the place so all we saw was the tunnel you know of making it and being this rapping sensation because you know that was really my whole dream you know yeah. you know that's what it was so moving forward what did, what did it feel like for for all of you but you especially um to now officially have to be able to know you're about to go into the studio with Twisted. Man, it, it was it was dope, man. It was dope because- it Was the, the beat made first? Or was yeah, the beat made it, on the spot with him there? This is what's so crazy about that Twisted song, bro. It was so organically created that me, Sham, No No, Jay Damage, all of us were sitting in the room came up with the uh, the fuck something, because it's really called fuck something, but we had to change it and turn it into twerk something. That's how twerk even became real popular after we I did this heard, record, you know what I'm saying? That song. Exactly. And, and so, did yeah, what this. year was this? We at the crib. What year this was this? This 97, 98. First yeah, yeah, 97. First time hearing the word twerk. Exactly. Exactly. So we ain't get no bread off the store. I ain't even mad at nobody, you know. <laughs> but but <laughs> just being 100, man. You know what I'm saying? We ain't make no bread, you know. Yeah. But long end of the story though, it's like, yeah, Twister come to the house. We smoking, we drinking, we doing the regular promo that out of order would be doing around this time getting into our little zone. We had our little equipment because PD Wax was the shit. They gave us our little MPCs and, and you know, keyboards and shit. So that was me and Sham's kick. I was a fucking studio rat. So trust me, I stayed and lived, eat shit, breathe in the studio. Sham loved it too, but he didn't love it like I did. You know what I'm saying? I was madly in love with the game and wanted to be the best 
recording artist, MC, whatever it was, I just wanted to be the best. That was, I think, what probably blinded me in 2020 hindsight, you know, but Twister come to the house and we like, damn, this is a straight official cat who we didn't listen to on the radio, dreamed about having his life, even if you will, you know what I'm saying? And he's sitting in there smoking bud with us and, and he was intimidated, bro. Uh, you know what I'm saying? No diss to Twister, yeah. but I, I do feel he was intimidated because we weren't intimidated, you know, because out of artists whole stance was we grew up on a real mentality. Like Ice Cube say, get off my dick, nigga, tell your bitch to come here. We felt like we were giants of the game, just as big as he was. Only difference between him and, and us was he was a few years older and he got his record deal. We ain't got our shit. You know what I'm saying? So it was no disrespect to Big T. You know, because he an OG in the game. But I had my verse ready for him. When he came in, he asked me what I had. I spit my 16. No errors. And he had some shit, but he ain't never kicked. He ain't never kicked. You know what I'm saying? A few of the out of order crew was kicking they, they shit too. But he was like, all right, I'll see you at the studio. Later, we met at the studio. And then day. we were able to see how, huh? That same day? That same day. Okay. It, it was a big day, man, because we was up, you know, wake and bake. We up top of the day writing because they told us we were working on this album. And so Twister meets us at the studio now in O'Fallon. Big shout out to Big Larry. You know what I'm saying? My man out there at uh, Two Relaxed Studios. And we had the big studio appeal, the feeling where we lounging out here, man. Got their little bud room, the music writing room, the beat making room. It was a nice environment. And so Twister came in, um, he did his verse, but I noticed that out of order was operating off adrenaline. So I went in that, ver that, that booth and kicked a one hit a quitter. I asked anybody in out of order. I did my first verse to uh, fuck some or twerk something with one take. And um, I wanted to see how the great Twister was gonna lay his verse. You know, cause I know he rapped fast in the mud. You know what I'm saying? And, and so uh, I see, and that's when I learned the art of cut mm. and paste. Mm. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is back in the 90s, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Of a brother that'll say some stuff, then stop, fill it in. I'm like, oh. So me being this hip hop fan, I had mastered the twisting style without taking into consideration the breathing that it was that's required for you to do all of that the way he was doing. Right. To where, to where you see what I'm saying? Where it sounds flawless on his end, but you mastered the way of spitting it like it does, like it is flawless off of one take. That point. That point. And it, it made me feel like I was actually uh doing a job the hard way. You know what I'm saying? It's like, damn, it's like, it kind of make me feel goofy. You know what I'm saying? I didn't think I was better than T. I was like, damn, he did it like that. Oh, but it inspired me so greatly, bro, because after that point, it was just like, it was no stopping us, you know? Because when we did the song with, uh, uh, we was down there with UGK now, uh, DMD. He had a song we did with La Boo and uh, uh, Booney Lowe. Big shout out to the Texas crew in Port Arthur with Jay Will. We did a record with them and it was flawless. It was a big hit in the South, but of course some politics happened where the dudes wanted ownership of some copyright situation. So we ain't even released, you know what I'm saying? 
So out of order, was able to go to different studios. We went to the compound with Mean Green in Houston. This is me and No-No. And was able to be exposed to them cats that got signed to No Limit. Uh, what was his name? Matt or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And it was a lot of good things happening back in them days, man. Just getting exposed to, to artists who was eating off of the game. So you know. once you all finished the recording of that record with Twister, yeah. how was it to take it, take that to next thing you know? Now you're hearing it on the radio station. Now you're hearing it playing on the radio around St. Louis. Yeah. I believe when you all traveled out, now you're hearing it. What was that feeling like? Man, it was it was a great, crazy feeling. Cause it was like, like I said, we did that first record called Fuck Something. But um, the first beat that we did, if anybody's a real fan of Out of Order and they got the single, then they know that we left room for a remix to all this money, all this cash. And we also had um, the uh, the fuck something version of that record. That twerk something was made. Twerk something was a different beat made on an MPC. Fuck something was a different song made on an ASRX mm. in Sonic. Mm. So it was two totally different Sonic sounds, totally different lyrics. And they told me, you know, PD Wax, my my um uh, executives, it's like KP, we love you can rap fast, baby. But you gotta slow down, man. You don't want to rap against Twister, man. We want to, you know, make make us something. That's when he taught me, Petey Wax, rest in peace. Was like, you the dopest rapper I ever met. But sometimes y'all rapping too much, G. Just talk to these niggas. And it gave me so much game, man. I was getting schooled. It was like I went to college. That's what it was like going back and forth to uh, Atlanta from time to time, staying on Morehouse campus being able to get into the party scene and the college life and taking that college tour, man, we was exposed to it all, man. So now, it was no way that me, I was never gonna stop dreaming. Now, when you all went back and redid the the actual beat, the actual song that people are can go on YouTube or whatever or and listen to now, that was a yeah. MPC. So that's a totally yeah. different track than what it, it was. Made on MPC. was. So when you all went back and redid- Totally different. So when you all went back and redid it to work some twerk something, did you have to recut the vocals all over again with Twister also? Yes. It's a totally different record. Only thing is, we just flew Twister. And that was what was so painstaking about that record, the editing, because you had to cut Twister's verse. And if you really listen to it, the trained ear can tell that that white boy engineer didn't really know how to cut that Twister verse and make it totally fit that beat. Mm, you see what I'm really, saying? So I'm giving really, some insight really. on the record. Go back and listen, and you could kind of hear the little off, you know, parts of the verse because he did that to a beat that me and Sham had did on the uh, ASRX at the crib. Oh, so he didn't cut. He but they said no. He didn't recut his vocal. You all just flew his acapella back over that. We we paid we paid for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like as is. You can do what you want with it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So when it became yeah. official. But he made it great. Yeah. So when it became official, where that actual song was on the radio, it just now it's like, okay, here it is. Yeah. Did Twister get up, like perform that song with you all live and things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That That's what makes us St. Louis folklore, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad you said that. 
is because Outta Order had some of the biggest and most organized shows with pyrotechnics, background dancers. We had the 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 uh the creative backdrop. If you look at some of the old school pictures, you know what I'm saying. We had everything that a superstar group should have. And when the politics happened, when the lunatics got that deal, well, not when the lunatics, but when Nelly got that deal, that kind of made St. Louis not really pay homage to the already bustling industry, if you will, that we had going. Because Out of Order was among a lot of great guys from St. Louis that perhaps got foreshadowed, you know, when that stuff started to happen. So it was like, dog, Out of Order represented the street. We represented the North Side. And, and the street blocks and and uh, the lunatics and they represented you city and back in them days we used to have a little rivalry it's like like a friendly rivalry though you know what i'm saying it might be in a few cats get their head bust but that was personal between them you know what i'm saying we used to be in the palace and the saints going back and forth girls hearing underlay underlay mama e-i-e-i and and, and work some twerk some what records you want to hear back and forth the most and we yeah. used to do that back in the day with Rec One was DJing, cut, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Chaos, you know, later on. Now, now, but see, that's fine, you know, with how Nelly came out and he got the lunatics and all mm -hmm. that. Can't nobody yeah, deny, but can't nobody deny some cats from the north side, out of order, that basically that had, a record, had a record with Twister. Who at that time? Man, we was the first. Who at that time? The first was popping off with Do or Die, and you can't forget somebody. I think his name Little John. Yeah, big one shout out to Little John with him. One of the first records with Little John. Now let's talk Still about let's talk about that record because that was the next record after Work Some Twerk Some yeah. that and, was popping off, and How by then. Well, that came about, you know, again, through the network of PD Wax, man. You know what I'm saying? We were on tour and like like we spoke on it, Twister was with us on a lot of those dates and we was really making the name for ourselves and ran into Lil John, the Eastside Boys, and they did the little network thing. And next thing you know, Lil John is at Saint Studios. Hmm. You know, big shout out to D&D. Uh, we was we did the beat with Lil John together, me, Sham, and Lil John did that production wow. on his MPC 3000. Wow, it was so classic, bro. I'm like, oh, straight up, how much you feel to be able to lay a little drum, a little tinkle bell, or something in a track that a now platinum producer is doing. And, and after we did those collaborations with both of those artists their careers actually shot off like a rocket because yeah. Twister was just an underground legend and Lil Jon was relatively underground with the Southern movement of Crump. Right, because, he got during time, because during that time, Twister didn't really like blow up till he came with that overnight celebrity and like the other. That's, what, that's what happened at the World Those were like two, That was like 2002, 2001, 2003. Yeah, that's that's at the work some twerk some though. Exactly. And Lil John did Cuz we knew no ID. Yeah, and Lil John did Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like 2002, 2003, you know what I'm saying? That's when he started really like, you know, popping off hardcore. So, you know Everybody ate off for out of orders deal. Mm -hmm. Chingy, uh, you know what I'm saying? Lil John and Twister. No disrespect to none of them cats. But they benefited from 
the hard work and the time, the tours, the 30 cities that we had done going all over the world, damn near, to brand a group from out of order to where the industry was so caught up in our production and what we were doing that it, it birthed the track stores. You see what I'm saying? Because I used to be a member of the track stores early on. Now, looking back on that, um, I remember having those two records, but the album took quite a while for it to come out, the Triple O sister. Now, what was the it did, man? That? Because that album came out fall 2000. Yeah, it did. Hey, so what yeah, was the it actually did, it did. Yeah, because I had to see the, the whole job. fall 2000. Man, the holdup was the fact that, you know, our record label and many other record labels around that time was being investigated. It was like a, a, a statewide investigation, you know, that was happening with the record labels in St. Louis, trying to put connections and implications of, you know, drug trade and things that was or was not happening through these record labels who was at this time being perceived as fronts. So what they told a lot of these local labels is, okay, well, we see y'all keep putting all this uh, absorptive amount of money into production of CDs and parcels, then we're going to investigate y'all with the full scope. And so that basically froze our, you know, our operations, man. And and by then we trying to get out of the, the deal, you know, with PD Wax, but the record industry is the record industry. They didn't just let us go. So we had to get legal fees, you know, get out and hustle and do what we had to do to get released. And, you know, and it was just, it was a nasty time, man. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't even think about this much these days because it was such a dark period, you know, back in them days when Out of Order kind of dissolved, if you will. So yeah, man, I was noticing, um, you know, the production on that album, man, on that Triple Osis, man, it was like, yeah. it was like dark. It kind of reminded me of like, you know what I'm saying? Like a modern day Chronic 2001. So yeah. so I know you and Shan were kind of the ones over that production. Uh, yeah, man. How did that go about as far as handling the production parts and this, that, and the third? Because that sound of that album pretty much is what kind of spawned going into the uh uh everybody in the club up and all that yeah changi all, all that stuff man that was pretty much the blueprint man i i did 60 percent of that album sham did about 35 percent of that album and ls other feature producers did five percent of that album you know it was a lot of work you know what I'm saying? That we were all like working on, man. Uh, you know, Sham, uh, no, no disrespect to him as a producer, but I was the principal producer, you know, for Out of Order. And then, you know, once we got the deal, of course we got access to more equipment, you know, so brothers was really polishing off their skills and being able to grow as artists and producers on their, in their own right. So, you know what I'm saying? He, he just learned everything he got to, just being my my partner, you know what I'm saying? So it was nine millimeter productions at first. Mm. But of course, after we did the out of order thing and went on tour and, you know, the PD Wax situation dissolved, the track stores idea came out. And, you know, as you know, Chingy actually was the first act signed out. Now, before mm. we go into that. So first mm. off, what was, because obviously at this particular point, um, Sham ventured his way. Everybody was kind of going their own ways. What what sparked the dissolving of the group, so to speak, at that point it was no more out of order? Well, 
you know, it was always the outer order in my heart, but as far as the physical four-man group, we we weren't, you know, around each other physically as much anymore after that tour. The tour we did drained us, and then the uh, the legal, you know, aspect of everything, of having to come up with all that money to get a lawyer to uh, get us freed out the contracts, it kind of put a damper on everything, you know. That's when uh, uh, Zoe came into the picture, because uh, he was a guy we had met, you know, he was with the uh, band Dr. Vegas. You know, I collaborated a couple of times on shows with them, and we used to see Zoe at this uh, equipment store. He used to work at Mars, and subsequently he had a studio set up on his own. So being that we were with PD Wax and they were paying for all our studio time, we saw Zoe as an asset, you know, to be able to help us to get a demo done. It was with all fresh new tracks, nothing that PD Wax owned. You know what I'm saying? With a new, fresh sound. And well, it was a new, that sound just happened to be jacked. It was a new sound out of order. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a new out of order sound, just just on, on steroids, you know what I mean? Just all the elements of, you know, deep bass, the claps, you know what I'm saying? The uh, the melodies, the, the, the sound effects, all the stuff that we kind of, you know, were kind of trademark doing for our production style. We kind of brought all those skills out and, you know, it ended up being that demo ended up being what led to, you know, the whole nine career, mm -hmm. what led to also uh, Chingy's first album, Jackpot. Mm -hmm. A lot of those uh, tracks were stuff that we collaborated on as a group, you know, that uh, we didn't actually put out, you know, to the masses, but they ended up being some of the records on Jackpot. So um, pretty much. OK, so uh, the whole nine. Which was everybody in the club, uh, which was uh, chaos, chemo v, okay, the homies. So, 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 an extension of out of order was pretty much the whole nine and Chingy. Absolutely, extension of out of order. I, hey, whether they know it or not, it, it actually is, man. You know, it's it's really the thing I find that's that's really ironic about St. Louis is that we have such a rich history. You know, like I have to pay respects to to a Silk Smooth and, and King Cool Odie. You know, those are the guys I was looking up to. Uh, uh, Jody, JCD and the Dog Pound. These were the first guys that had national deals out of St. Louis that St. Louis forgets. They think it started with Nelly. No disrespect to the homie Nelly, right. but he wasn't the first, you know, to do something substantial. He was just the first to really take it, you know, to, to a, a global aspect and, and do what he did. So much respect to what you know, the lunatic movement was, but like I said, it wouldn't be no lunatic movement had it not been for a out of order movement because we were that that alternative group that, you know, if you weren't into that, then you had us to go to. So St. Louis has just always, you know, been a melting pot of different styles, man. Yeah. Now, um, during, uh, I guess, I think maybe, I think it was around 2004, 2005, you started doing uh, some more solo stuff. I remember we ran back and through each other at a, a video shoot you were having. Yeah, I, I was messing with my homeboy D2, David Stewart, man, of Lion Forge, man. He's doing real big things nowadays. Uh, he was like the, the visual aspect of my project that I was working on. It was a record called Angus and Y'all Gonna Cry. You know, Shane was even in that video, you know, so, so constantly, you know, contrary to all the things that people would be like, oh, out of order beefing with each other or, we broke up like that, you know, we had our differences, but it was never in my intention to see, 
you know, out of order to be separate. You know, I always wanted us to be clicked up, even if we weren't on the same album, you know, per se, we still have a network in place. So I've never forgot about the group, you know, even in my solo, you know, pursuits. Right. So did you have any solo projects that have been out previously? And is the Out of Order album available for those that want to hear it? Well, absolutely. You know, I own some of the rights to the Out of Order project. I don't own them all. There will be a discussion to have with uh, the state of, uh, you know, PD, you know, but that's another story in another interview. You know what I'm saying? But uh, definitely I, I've done projects, but they never seen the light of day. You know, uh, I did an album called The Tsunami, you know, that was um, a studio project that had like 18 tracks on it, man. I plan to release them, but my focal point is what I'm doing today and trying to bring out my ag album, Cognitive Dissonance. So, you know, once I'm, I put that out, I'm gonna start bringing out the unreleased, like Cube did the bootlegs and B-sides. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as time went on, you began to become more involved into the community. Um, yeah. More so, not saying, not saying, well, you know, as we grow, you know what I'm saying, we become more involved in certain things that make more sense to us and where we are in our life. And it seems from me and what it is that I'm seeing um, and you doing, it's still being creative, but being creative in a youthful, um, you know, uh, leadership sort of way. A constructive way, man. Yeah. So what made you want to get into that as far as showing uh, uh, young men how to dress for jobs and interviews. What made you want to get involved and start doing all that? Well, I mean, it, it was always, it really wasn't nothing new, but it was always something that I had. But I guess the new thing would be that I would, you know, advertise it or promote that aspect of my character. You know, I was brought up at Matthew Dickey, so I've always had leaders, you know, around me showing me the ropes. You know, with, with my pop, Martin Luther Matthews, the guy that founded Matthews Dick, he always, you know, instilled in me some characteristics in the three R's, respect, restraint, responsibility. You know, that kind of permeated everything that I did in life. So when when I got, you know, beyond the stage of dreaming to be a, a hip hop sensation, you know, I still, you know, do music because I love to do it. But I've always used my music to mentor the young. And when I look in hindsight, that's pretty much what I was doing for all my group members in Out of Order and, and several people in, in the city of St. Louis who I've been fortunate enough to, you know, influence or impart or add something to their repertoire. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's been a hell of a journey, man, you know, just being able to do things. And I just, you know, I think it's going to come full circle as it did before. And you're going to see some magic coming from me again. But this time I'm going to be the main benefactor. What's uh, the uh, the, um, the 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 place that you because so, I mean so tell them more about tell people who you know may be looking for jobs or maybe yeah. you know, when they come to St. Louis well, well, well if you come to St. Louis what it is that that you're doing but let them yeah. know what it is that you do because from like I said when I'm looking on Facebook and I'm seeing what it is you're showing like you're showing like you're offering job opportunities and all the time. All the time. I, I work, my day job is the Urban League. And, you know, the Urban League is pretty much all over the country. And we have different Urban League programs. And I help to create and, um, um, you know, direct a, a program called Save Our Sons, mm. SOS. So, you know, right. it's so real with me, man. I got it tatted mm. right here on my arm. You know what okay. I'm saying? I don't know if y'all can see that. Mm. But 
you know, it, it was really a, a journey for me. Rest in peace to Mike Brown Jr. At the past August 9th, 2014, uh, you know, my CEO, he recruited and scouted me and another brother to do this program that was bringing an economic solution to, you know, the otherwise disenfranchised, you know, African-American males that were looking for opportunity, but they felt they had no opportunity that was readily available in their own community. Mm -hmm. So we brought workforce development like no other, you know, to the community and, and being that I'm a hip hop dude, I was able to market Save Our Sons unlike any other program and make it very urgent. And you know, my street ties, you know, as you know, they go really deep. So I think you need the right people, you know, that come from the community that are able to speak the lingo and be trusted. Because, you know, when, when that happened in 2014, a lot of our brothers were very distrusting mm. of nonprofits or governmental agencies or any type of entity that was outside of our hood. So, you know, it, it was a, a, a marvelous ride, a wonderful ride. And, you know, now I'm on a national platform and I plan to do a prison reform with the Save Our Sons program in conjunction with the National Urban League and, you know, the Department of Corrections. So we working on a whole bunch of big things, man. We It's millions of dollars at stake, you know, with Cure Violence. And we think a, a, a large part of curing violence is economic opportunity you know so if you employ you ain't got time for the bull for people who are interested in, in in what it is that you do um who may be coming through st louis who may be watching this that's in st louis how can they reach out to you to you know get involved in what it is yeah. that you're doing or also look for a job and as far as helping well, that well you can always visit our website the urban league of metropolitan st louis ulstl.com that's ulstl.com you know and i'm brother dennis at, at uh that capacity but you know my main thing is hip-hop you know and the urban league much respect to that agency but it's just a, a another chapter in my book that i feel like you know it's just getting me closer and closer to what i want to do and that's to reach the masses with creativity and just honest literature, you know, it's about time someone told a true, true narrative, you know, about what's going on. So I, I feel like I have a civic duty to give people some, some conscious music, but at the same time, I ain't preaching at everybody. Yeah. And I think it's very marketable what we're about to do. Uh, before I let you go, KP, um, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, next five years, I see myself all over the world. I see myself with uh, a number one album, uh, Cognitive Dissonance. I believe that um, it, it keep me working for years after that. I'm probably gonna be working that record for a couple of years. Uh, maybe some movie deals come out of it. Maybe some national programs spawned out of it. You know, I just plan to be everywhere. I plan to, you know, revitalize the hip hop movement in the St. Louis region principally but, you know, through telling the story of my rap group out of order and, you know, the rise and the fall, the, the smiles and the frowns and ups and downs, you know, I want to tell a complete story of, you know, that that's about life. Life is peaks and valleys. And I want the other artists to be inspired and know that, you know, this hip hop music was designed for us as in the bottom, the black and brown brothers and sisters that had nothing but was able to be creative enough to make something out of nothing at all. So, you know what I'm saying? Cognitive Distance, man. The album's coming very, very soon. 
So hopefully in March, you'll be seeing some really exciting things in that head and the heart, which you produce <laughs> is off the chain. I got a video rolling out for that, homie. So yeah, yeah that's what um, I want people to check for. Definitely, definitely. Um, Well, uh, man, I, it was something I was about to say as far as dealing with uh, uh, the music. Oh yeah, basically, I'm going. I'm going to look for that cassette. So when, yeah. you do, when you do put everything together for the actual out of order Northside Coalition movie, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I definitely yeah. have that on deck for you, man. Because man, some legendary. I need uh, that, man. Because because you know? I'm coming out with a book on capitalism that kind of talks about my story and it kind of speaks on the out of order experience. And I'm also doing a scrapbook that's going to actually uh, depict pictures of handwritten lyrics, kind of like that Tupac poetry book. And I'm going to, you know, like do a promotional package with it, put some old school music with it, show the lyrics, how they were written, and, you know, do some well, audio you're, books so as you're, well. With your drawings? With my drawings, my 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 raps, which which are written now. You know, I write like a hieroglyph sometimes, like like graffiti or something. Mm. So, you know what I'm saying? It'd be, I think, a keepsake type of situation. You know, to just keep the legacy alive and keep it pushing. And I also got a podcast, man, coming out called Don't Let It Go To Your Head, where I'm going to be talking some real, real shit. And yeah. you can check me out on Did We Make Ourselves Clear. So that's another podcast that I'm doing with my cousin River and my yeah. man Kyle, who I uh, helped in the Save Our Sons program when he was incarcerated in Al Gore. He's now on his feet, man, doing well, and he's my co-host. So it's hey, real, man. As you can see, here we are 30 years later, still being creative. Still finding, Man. finding ways and avenues of, of, of yes. generating some type of uh, revenue streams of something to keep the creative juices flowing. Here I am with a podcast. Here you are talking about about getting a, a podcast going and what's what's happening. Talking about scrapbooks. Talking about a book. Talking about you know what I mean. Talking about the album. It don't. Oh, yeah. It's the continuation of creativity, man. You know, what I'm saying for those right. for those that are real in what they do, it will never come across fake because real is in. Yeah, man. Real is within. You know, what I'm saying real comes from within. You know, yes. What it is that real recognize real, man. Real recognize straight real. up. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Hey, for one last thing, uh, let everybody know your uh, your Instagram so folks can reach out. Uh, that's KP KP Killer Poet or King James KP Dennis on Facebook. You know, I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. I'm always out here. I'm always in the community. You know what I'm saying? And get cognitive dissonance. Check out Head and Heart that I got a banger with Mr. Skip right now playing that's going to be on that album. And Raining in My Heart. That's another classic song you need to check out, man. You know what I'm saying? Sign of the Times music. Much love to my Out of Order family. Dean Doty, Sham, No No, J Dam. All y'all, man. Rest in peace to my nephew, LLTC. Hey, KP, I appreciate you, man. Much love, man. Yes, sir. Much love to you, Skip. And I, and yes, sir. And, 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 I you, and I thank you for coming through and lounging with me, man, on the podcast. No doubt, man. We got to do this more often, dog. You know what I'm saying? It's bring crazy me on yours. Bring, bring me on yours. We'll make it do. I most definitely will. Be checking for that email, bro. All right, no doubt, bro. Appreciate you, Salute. man. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, man. I'll be seeing you soon, man. Coming out west, baby. All right, let me know. Let me know. I will. All right.